Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How is your alternate Monday? Um, pretty good. Got um a little bit of concrete going on, so might sound mm-hmm. a little same, bit different same. tonight. Uh, being you, our our, you, our you can't even you, you can't even blame it on air travel like I can. Yeah, I mean air travel is true. It, it uh, granted, you're, there's the whole um, in a confi- small space with people, but the uh, um, the air is so well structured in those airplanes. It, it's it's surprisingly low to actually get sick from the planes but traveling is exhausting on your body and i think just opens you up to other stuff when you're on busy airports or waiting or whatever and getting and walking up and down the aisles you know i mean i think um i think in recent years that has become less of a concern like they know like it's already pressurized and they know that it's a lot of people in a in a tight group of space so there's a ton of air filtration going on but um i on my flight out had a red eye so i got to Mm -hmm. bloomington with basically zero sleep i nodded off a lot on the second flight from because i had layovers both ways uh from chicago to indianapolis um but nothing like nothing like actual sleep right and then for people who didn't sleep enough any night that I was there. <laughs> yeah. Well, for people who are not sure what we're talking either. about trips is that like Dennis came into town with several of our other friends and we had a whole weekend of just playing games and hanging out and seeing stuff. Uh, so that's that's where we're talking about Dennis coming on his big flights. Yeah. From, we, out, from way out we, west. We briefly mentioned it last week in our nearly two hours of talk about Star Trek, Baldur's Gate, and Pride Prejudice. Right. Um, but we all got together over Labor Day weekend. Um, Fox and his family flew out. Uh, the Cogswells drove out from Ohio, um, and I flew in from Washington. And we played a lot of games. We watched a couple movies. We tailgated Saturday. S- sat outside in the heat. Oh, and tailgating, that's right, right. And and ate walking tacos. And drank beer, yeah. and uh, and, and yeah, did a lot of the game, and, and kind of watched the game. Um, and as often happens for me, I played a lot more games last weekend than I did at Gen Con, um, because you know, in amongst the like juggling everybody's schedules and who's going to be where when, and um, Trotsky had a lot of had a lot of distractions going on this weekend. He had to deal with tailgating stuff and then he was he was doing some stuff for work a lot of the time but you know a lot of us were there i was there at the house with the troilos most of the time and uh and we we just got a lot of games in. yeah we I, surprisingly we did get a lot of games and i'm i was really happy about that um there was always something going on almost always um but yeah we, we the tailgating was fun um a lot of us didn't stay for a lot of it because it was so hot. I mean, it was in Indi- Bloomington, mm-hmm. Indiana, and it was the. If anybody watched the Ohio State and IOU game, they showed the uh, thermostat on the field, and it was over 110. And Bloomington was full of humidity, so it was like ridiculous. Um, I think the actual temperature was in the 90s. It's just just kind of melting sitting out there while we were watching mm-hmm. the game and talking, and 
but it's good to see friends. So a lot of us just kind of went back to the house where it was cool. Um, All right. Where there, where there's air conditioning, where is air conditioning? Um, but so, okay. Well, let's, I guess we can start by talking about that. Um, yeah. What do you games talk did about you play Dennis games? Some games? <laughs> um, let's see. I played a game that is sort of new, um, not new to me, but I'd only played it once before, um, called foundations of Rome. Oh, yes. Love that game. Um, I played that with the Troilos. It's four players. So, uh, mm-hmm. three of them and I played, um, it's the first thing to say about this game is that the components are fantastic. It's, yes. I mean, the box is maybe even larger than the Gloomhaven box. It is. Mm-hmm. It's like if you took a normal, uh, what we call, there's a term for this that I, I don't know, but the standard size board game, which is not like the wide, I'm gesturing with my hands again, not the mm-hmm. wide flat, like Risk or Monopoly box, but like the Settlers of Catan box, it's a little less than 12 inches square and then you know three four inches tall um i'm not in a state to convert that to metric so you're on your own if you <laughs> don't right. know what that means um this game was like the foundations of rome is like if you stacked four of those on top of each other yeah. that's the box it's a just like, massive box and like then 15 inches tall or some kind of nonsense something like that but you open it up and everybody's got these trays with these little buildings and then there's another one for the for the bonus buildings and they all fit in perfectly. It, it reminds me of um, uh, Mechs vs. Minions. Right, where it just fits and beautifully into the box. It, yeah. all, it all fits in the box. There are no loose components. Um, and, and everybody all of that gets is, their own tray of beautiful Everybody gets minions. their own tray with the similar kind of um, buildings and then there's information on the building and then also on the tray so you don't have to look and count everything on the map or on it, the board. It often felt see. like if you ever played Sim City and you're kind of working in your city, you've got these buildings that look so detailed and nice and you're working with them. It feels like that scale almost, right? Because they're, yeah. so, they're yeah. so nice. And then you, you, know, you set the buildings down and some of them, especially the bonus buildings, are like, oh, this is the, this is the Temple of Artemis and there's a big statue of an archer on the um, thing or whatever um, and we played with a variant where everyone has a secret mission oh I've not um, played that variant okay it's one of those you get dealt to and you keep one and mine was to have the fewest residential buildings so there are three kinds of building um, residential commercial and civic the commercial buildings give you coins uh, which you use to buy uh, plots of land or squares which are also metal, right? Yeah, the coins are metal. Um, and I guess I'm getting ahead of it this a little bit. If you don't know this game, uh, the map is a square grid uh, with letters along one axis and numbers along the other, kind of like bingo or uh, battleship. Battleship is probably more accurate because it's a full grid. Um, and then there are, there's a market of cards across the top. And normally, I think in the normal game, you deal out a certain number of cards to each player. And those are your starting plots. Um, we did a variant where from that hand of starting cards, we pick one and pass it around. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, a drafting like many other games, like like uh, Sushi Go. 
um, and then those were our starting. We we were all kind of mixed on that. Didn't couldn't decide whether that was any more helpful than just dealing them out randomly. Um, I know for me, I had almost no connecting plots to start with, so I was like, I don't know that that was any better than just having them randomly, um, because the buildings are varying sizes. There are some that are just one square, and then some that are two, some that are L-shaped, so they take up three, some that are a big square that are four, and some really long ones that are three or four squares long. And then there's one bonus building that's like a big U-shape. It would be two by three, but with a gap in the middle. Um, And the... The goal is you buy these plots, so you're you're claiming land on the map, these, these squares of land, and then when you own enough land to fit one of your buildings, you place your building on that plot. You can replace your buildings, but only if the new building takes up more squares than the building, than any or all buildings it's replacing. Right. So if I have if I have a two square building and a one square building and they're connected in an L, I can replace both of those with one L shaped building because three is more than one or two. Right. Um, You place coin buildings to increase your income. You place residential buildings to increase your population. And the population is a sort of bonus scoring track. And then. When you, um, when you want to, you play civic buildings, which give you bonuses based on what they are adjacent to. So right. if you see a bunch of residential buildings together, you can put a building down that gives you two points per residential value in its orthogonal uh, radius, not radius, next to it, right? Orthogonal. Correct. Radius. Correct. Um, and get bonus points at the scoring and it goes in three ages um which get recycled every time um a deck of land cards is depleted right and the land cards are to mark it up at the top and um they have the thing where each slot in the market has a fixed price and when a plot of land gets purchased um the cards all slide down Right, so you right. you want something that's good. Right now, it costs ten coins. If you have ten coins, you could spend that now. But if you don't think anybody else wants it, you can wait a couple rounds, and it'll shift down. And now it's only four. Um, right. And I think that's. I'm sure that I've missed something, but I think I've summarized the the yeah. whole game. Well, it's a it's a it's a, an incredibly good game. It's I I would put it in the Euro game or Euro what's it called Euro genre um, uh, Euro type game, of game sure. where it's like very um, mechanics driven and then add themes on top of it because while you're building a city sure it's um, more like <laughs> you know just pieces on a board but it's really fun I mean and it's really the, yeah. the best part about it is it's very simple straightforward um, you always feel like you're in it. Um, it lasts about an, an hour and a half or so, um, but that does that never feels too long. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you heard, you know, I I, I explained basically all of the mechanics 
right. the last five minutes or whatever. Even for such a massive box, it's not a super difficult or very long game. Right. Um, but but that all works with, in its benefit in that in that yeah. it's fun. It's not you're gonna get a game that has strategy to it, but not too much strategy. And it's going to be, right. you can very easily accessible as an example. Now, now here's mm-hmm. the, here's the catch. And this is the part that's going to make people listening sigh a little bit. One, you can't <laughs> get this game anymore. It was a Kickstarter game and. Oh, it, that's right. It went for, uh, I think a hundred and twenty, hundred and forty dollars um, and now the only way you right. can get it is on the second market. I think the cheapest now, I think I just looked recently was 640 bucks. Oh, uh, so yeah, you're you're not going to get a copy of this game unless <laughs> sometime in the future Arcane Wonders decides to reprint it. I think you can go to their website and put add it to the cart and such, but I think they'll they still say that you know shipping's TBD type stuff. Right. Um, but and and the one and the version that we're playing with is the expensive one. I think when it was on Kickstarter, I don't want to guess what Mike paid, but I think it's the two hundred seventy dollar version, which had the all the fixings we mentioned, the the metal. Um, metal stuff metal on them and, and it's got sure. the fifth player expansion that you know adds a fifth player adds uh player objectives and roles so there's a the expansion is a solid expansion and totally worth it and honestly mike buying this always feels crazy to me that he'd spend almost 300 dollars on a chance that a game that we'd like a game uh but in on this case he could roll the dice and win because if he sold it which he won't because i'm sure it's in his top 10 <laughs> um it's you know, he'd make three times his money on it type stuff. Um, yeah. So in that one, it's not a, a loss leader type thing, but, and, and it was very, very fun. It is very fun. So it, it is in my like top 15 games. I can't think of what games I have now, but it's, it's just a game that someone said, you pull out. I don't have any reason that I wouldn't play it. I never feel like it would be too long for me to play or too short uh, that, that I wouldn't have a lot of control or say, or that every time I played it, I didn't have a good time. Um, and with, our, our buddy Fox has said, and I say often, is that as long as you're having a good time playing it, it doesn't always matter if you win or lose. You look back and you lose and you get frustrated and you think, man, I wasted all that time. Then that, in my book, isn't a good game. Uh, it's right. a game that you can enjoy. And Foundations of Rome is a game that I've always had fun playing, enjoyed playing, and never and just all the mechanics kind of work together to make yeah. that an enjoyable yeah. time. I mean... I've I've played games where even if I won, I had a bad time. That's yes. rare. Yes. But um, this game, just to, I mean, now that I've uh, uh, advertised an, an unavailable product and gotten everybody's hopes up, um, I mentioned at the beginning my hidden role was to have the fewest residential buildings. Well, mm. I built one and then later replaced it with a special building. And because I was watching, because you the parts are so big, you can see what other people do, are doing. And I saw that Jill was also not playing residential buildings. And I was like, maybe this is a thing. Maybe she has the same secret goal as me. And in the last turn, um, I played a civic building that gave me four points um, and left me with no residential buildings. Yeah. If I had played one residential building, it would have given me seven points. Um, Jill built two, so I still would have had the lowest. We did look up in the rules to confirm that tying for the lowest still counts. Did, did um, she? Did she have that secret role? Was that? Were you right? No, she she had something else, but I think she was just focusing her victory on the other two without without trying to get into 
um, the the residential mechanic is a little bit of a race, like like the Seven Wonders games have military a little bit. Um, it's not a not a great comparison, but the final score was like Jill had one hundred three and I had one hundred one, and I was like, ah, if I had made that one choice there at the end, I would have won. But it wasn't like I wasn't disappointed. I was like, that's kind of awesome that it was that close, and I made that gamble to like. Because because you can replace buildings, I'm like she could go back down to one or zero residential buildings with one play. So I want to stay at the very because it, the the bonus objective was like eight points. Like, right, I gotta I gotta keep this, and then it ended up super close, which is a thing I always appreciate a tight point spread. Yeah, and and I think that the key thing that makes it fun, and for this applies to a lot of other games that I enjoy throughout, is that when someone plays a move that helps themselves out in this game. It's putting a building down that helps their, their area. Like they put a building down on the communal board and they're like, Oh, I got a bunch of points for that because I put it in this special spot. But by putting that down, everybody else can also benefit from that too. Like, Oh, I put one next to you that gets benefits to your awesome building type thing. Right. Uh, Which, which it's, so it's the, it's never a, oh my gosh, somebody put that down and kind of screwed everybody or screwed this person and now they're in the lead and we can't come back type thing. It's it's very much a, they put that down, good for them, but I can also, uh, you know, continue on, which is something, another game we played, I'll get to later on, had too as well that I enjoyed. Uh, so that's yeah, it's, one. It's okay. a little bit of both in that game because you're competing for the, the land plots, right? So you're like, yes. oh, I get blocked off here, but then there's this later, uh, there's this element of the late game that... Um, is more uh, synergistic. Yeah. Uh, so that's one game. I finally played, so we can go back and forth a little bit. Uh, I played a game that everybody's been playing on Board Game Arena that I had not yet called Arc Nova. Mm. Um, it is a build um, build your own zoo type zoo, thing. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. theme. And, it, and uh, unlike Foundations Rome, this one has very strong theme mechanics. So you have to get sponsors, for example. It's, it's how you get money. You take an action that, that you go and try to get sponsors for your zoo, and that's you know gaining money in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a track, like a sponsor's track. And then um, to uh, get animals, you have to buy the certain enclosures that are good for them. And they have, some animals have to be by water, so you have to build your zoo to have water if you want certain animals which is again very thematic and then there's and then there's the reputation of the zoo so you get more people to come see your zoo so you have to do things to build up your reputation through mechanics so unlike foundations of rome uh this one has incredibly fun and really engaging mechanics but they all fit exactly what you're doing so that makes them easier to understand i will say the reason I hadn't played it a lot on Arc Nova, Arc Nova, Arc Nova on Board Game Arena, is because it feels very overwhelming. And if you look at try to look at the how to plays, it's it, they're all so long and so detailed, and there's just a ton of stuff happening all over the place. And I was like, this is just too overwhelming. And I like some of those games, but that just every like playthrough I did, I just got more and more lost. Um, and I couldn't figure yeah, out I, the, the, the book. I played it once on Board Game Arena and watched the video, unlike uh, that time travel, an- Anachrony. Yeah. Um, for Arc Nova, I watched the video and was like, okay, I have a pretty good handle on this. And then when we played, because it was turn-based, like there were 
at least one or two major mechanics that I never understood, even even by the time the game was done. Yeah. So so, and so when it got set up in 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 person, I forget what else we were doing upstairs, but I was like, uh, nope. Whoever wants to play that is good. I'm I'm good. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's one. uh. Well, when, when that was the thing is that it looked it looked like a game that I would like. A lot of the mechanics are mm-hmm. games that I kind of like. Um, I, you know, you have your own zoo where you put things in and, you know, organize it yourself, play your own turns. There is player interaction, but a lot of it is just like racing to get some of the resources that are on the track. If you get there first, Absolutely. you get some bonuses, but it doesn't hurt if you don't get them. It just gives you an advantage. Um, so... But that's that's the most player interaction, and I usually like that in kind of games. You know that I can play my own stuff without people screwing me over, mm-hmm. um, and so it just felt like a lot of Mike type of game. But I just couldn't get into it, and then so I wanted to play it here with other people who liked it. And Jill Troilo was playing and wanted to play, and was uh, available to teach. So she did a wonderful job of teaching, mm. walked through all the thing. Pete was there, our buddy Pete too. He also played and he also knows it real well. Um, and it was just very helpful to have them there and to be able to ask questions and have the thing in front of you and yeah. go back and forth. And they just did a wonderful job. And, and I really, really did when it was done. I, it was like two and a half hours, something like that. Um, so it's a long game. But it was really fun, and I mean, I say I hate saying that because I did win, so I, mm-hmm. you know, I guess she should always lead with that. But I was, I did not, honest to God, did not think I was winning. Like I didn't think I was close in any way because there's a lot of stuff afterwards after you hit the thing, or if I was doing well, I was just kind of enjoying making my my zoo and doing the getting the stuff and playing my way, right? Um, mm-hmm. And. So I, I thought, man, I'm really not playing efficiently here, but I still won. And Jill told me a very nice thing. She says, you know, you really shouldn't say that you didn't play well when you win because it makes everybody else feel bad. <laughs> I was like, I, oh, I, yeah. I heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't I, there, but I heard I felt real later. bad. I, which I didn't mean to. I just, I honest to God, did not think I was winning. And, and when that happened, I was kind of a little shocked that, like, oh, yeah, he won by a whole lot. Um, and I was like, oh, I. I was just enjoying playing what I was playing. And because, because well, two things. Uh, Captain Chris was playing with this, and he has this little motto of play fast, make mistakes, which I fully believe in. Um, and when it came down to, to things where it was kind of hard and I could get analysis paralysis, I was just like, you know what? This one's fun. I'll just play this one. Um, I'll try that. If it, if it doesn't succeed, fine. It's fine. Right? Um, and that was why I didn't think it was going to succeed, but it did. But anyway, the game, it ended up being, like I said, just like what I thought. My kind of game that had these kind of stuff that I liked in it. Um, definitely a thumbs up. Would play it again, but it is one of those special only play it when there's a whole bunch of people for the weekend and we want to play a long game thing. Right. Uh, I don't know how it would play on Board Game Arena. I will play one if people starts one, but with there's a lot of the stuff where you want to take a turn and then you know what you're going to do next turn. And if turns take a day, then it could take six weeks probably for that game. So I don't think it took too long, but well, that's I good don't remember. I don't remember a lot of the details, um, but yes, anyway, I, thumbs up. I like it, but it, you know, comes with its own caveat of being a long multiple, multiple. Oh, here's the thing. It has multiple paths to victory, multiple ways to do different things. Mm-hmm. That's my big thing I love in games. But 
Some would even say this has just too many, right? I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what's another one you played? Um, okay. This is a this is a quick one ish. Um, let me update my notes here so I don't repeat. Um, a game called Cat in the Box. Did you get oh, a I chance play, to play that? I played this before. We played it like you have played uh, it before. a game night or something. A yeah, ago, I think ago. I think Pat brought this and and taught us to, taught it to us. Um, there was a fairly amusing moment when uh, our friend Cogswell is a big he's a big game player, but doesn't get a lot of chances to play games, right? Because he yeah, doesn't live right. in town anymore. I don't know, you know. Uh, he's he's one who like when when I've been at uh, your ICG con a couple times and and mm-hmm. you or or some of your other buddies are really pushing to to get games going he's that guy yep. like when he lived in town yes. and and trotsky did big game parties before cardinal game night uh brian would be one of the first to like are we gonna are we gonna play some games who's who, who's in for a game you you right. dense pat let's let's get some very, very good at getting things going yes he, he's and and he I forget if it was after the tailgate or something. He was a little bit buzzed, and so the rest of us knew this <laughs> game. We were trying, we were trying to teach it to him, and he is colorblind, right? right? So he's the one who, when we play a new game and we look at it, like Earth or something, we're like, "Oh, is there a way? You know, are there symbols on the card? Like, is this game mm-hmm, colorblind mm-hmm. friendly?" Um, so I'm getting ahead of myself with the story again. Uh, Cat in the Box is a trick-taking game. So if you don't know what that means, uh, the most common game of that type that I know of is Euchre. Um, also, I think Hearts and Spades are both in the same format. The idea is everybody plays one card, and then whoever has the highest card, according to the rules, um, takes that trick of cards. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's some varying kinds of scoring. Um, the twist on this game is that it is uh, Schrodinger's cat-themed, Schrodinger's yeah. box, th- Schrodinger's cat. Uh, the cards are all black. They they don't have color printed on them. And so when, when Brian held his hand, like, he stared at it really confused and, like, looked at us, and uh, somebody was trying to ex- explain more rules of the game, and I could tell that he had stopped listening because he was baffled by the cards all looking the same. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and we're right. like, we're like, no, that's that's intentional. That's what they're supposed to look like. <laughs> um, and the idea is, the cards in your hand don't have color printed on them, but they still have color. Um, and there's a board that goes in the middle, and everybody has an individual board where, when you play a card, you put one of your little tokens on the the map board, which has um, all the numbers. And all the colors, right? There's a row for each color and a column for each number. Uh, and so when I put down a, an eight, I say, this is a blue eight. And I put a token on the blue eight square. Well, now I've led blue, right? Which is the, that's the rule for trick-taking games. Like, you lead a color, everyone has to follow in that color, that suit, um, if they can, if they're able. Well, everyone's cards are black, so they can decide, well, I've got a five. I'm going to make this a blue five. And they play a blue five. The, 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 um, what happens when that happens is that now those cards are played. That's what the symbols, what the tokens on the board represent. So if in the next trick I lead a blue seven, well, nobody can, you know, even if Pat has an eight, 
he can't make it a blue eight because I already played the blue eight in the last in the last trick. Right. It's it's a thing that like it's it's a it's a little arcane to try to describe to somebody, but then you do like two or three tricks, and assuming somebody knows trick taking games, and people go, Oh okay. Like it's it's this really like you know, I talk about um, new things in board games, right? Yeah, like, right. so often you just see the same thing, right? You're like, oh, this is a deck building game, but it's got this theme on it. Or, oh, they're doing this. Like, even with Gloomhaven, we're like, oh, well, this thing as a whole is new, but all the pieces of it are things we've seen in other games. Um, right. It's a thing uh, the, I think, Shut Up and Sit Down guys talk about um, teaching games to new gamers it's like don't start them with a game like well definitely don't start them with gloomhaven but <laughs> don't don't start them with a massive game that's got seven new mechanics start them with like you know here's a game that's just card drafting or here's a game that's card drafting and hand passing or like like um sushi go is a is a perfect because it's it's hand passing it's simultaneous play and a little bit of point salad so you're learning a couple of mechanics, but Sushi Go is not that hard. Like, you know, you could teach your mom Sushi Go. Um, right. But this Cat in the Box game was like, oh, they they took trick-taking and did something with it that I've never seen. Something that you couldn't do with a basic deck of cards. Right. Right. Like, like we're playing The Crew, which is a cooperative trick-taking game. I don't think you're in that. It's Fox Pat. Cogswell. Oh uh, no, that, that game that game frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, you know, the frustration of Euchre because you have a partner, but it's the whole team, right? So like we have specific like <laughs> Right. How do like, we make something I hate even worse? <laughs> <laughs> um and you could make the crew like with two decks of cards. M- maybe. And, and some chips or something. Um like it's custom printed, but you know, there's there's nothing um there's nothing super advanced but this was like it's like somebody had this idea of like how can we make a trick-taking game where the colors and that's the schrodinger's cat thing right like the cards in your hand are anything they could be anything once you play them now they're now they're something and then you you may have if you're if you're project if the listener is projecting out uh, this mechanic, um, as I've described it, eventually you get to a point where the cards in your hand can't exist, right? Yeah. Um, if all I have are <laughs> two fours, right, yeah. th- there because there are five of each number, um, there's also a mechanic for not following suit, right? There's a there's a trump color; it's red. It's always red. And yeah. if I and and you bid, that's a a bidding like um. Uh, oh hell or up and down the river whatever you want to call that game where you bid on how many tricks you think you can take and then you want to hit that number because there's a bonus mechanic based on mm-hmm. where your chips on the board are adjacent to each other that's kind of hard for me to describe um over audio but um you have a goal right where you want to take a specific number of tricks no more no less or if you don't think you're going to hit your bid you want to take as many as possible because they're worth one point apiece. um right and so there's a time where you say, I know blue was lead, but I want this trick, 
so I'm going to play Trump, and I'm going to say, I don't have any more blue. I'm going to play a red seven. So then you get to the end of the game where, you know, I've got two fours and a five. Well, all the four, well, I don't know, it wouldn't work two fours to five. So just say I have four, five, six. Well, the fives and sixes have all been played. Right. And the only four is a blue. But three hands ago, three tricks ago, I said I didn't have any blue. Mm-hmm. So the cards in my hand can't exist, and that's a paradox. Right. And that's when the hand ends, and then people score up. And it's just, it's really clever. Um, it's, I think, I looked on Amazon, it's almost $30, which seems a little high. I don't know if they had a limited production run or whatever. It seems like for, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the component, but like for the components and the size of the game, it feels like a $17, $20 game. Sure. Um, I will probably buy it anyway because it definitely is a game that I could teach to a lot of my family, just like the crew, but even easier because the crew is like, hey, we're going to play this game and it's a campaign. And even if my sister and brother-in-law played it, uh, all night one time when I was not all night but like for three hours or something we still only got halfway through um, all the campaign this is just you play it once and it's um, and it's, right. it's really clever I um, I I, uh, I played I said I played that game I don't like trick-taking games I, I'll say I generally don't I shouldn't say that as sure a, as an explicit thing but um, a lot of them I think it has to do just with the way my brain works in that yeah. you you have to know things in advance and there's a lot of any game that has a, a, an element of card counting in it where, you know, mm-hmm. Oh, I know this has been played. Therefore that can't be played. And then this one is played. And I know I have this in my yeah. hand and that must have that in their hand. And the odds of that happening, that right there just makes me want to quit like right away. You know, <laughs> and, and, and especially when you start those games and I'm, by the way, I'm starting off with the downside of this, but I'm going to get to the better side. Yep. But, um, that, uh, you. I understand that completely. By the way, yes, yes. Part that, of, that like you start I, people. I like, played the crew, and my brother-in-law is much better at it than I am because he's looking and he's like, "Okay, well, we know that this and this is done." I'm like, "We do? Oh, okay. I guess you're right." Yeah, and, and that's it's right. A specific people, kind of kind of thinking that it's a deductive um, mind type thing, which which I yeah. think leads people who are good at those kind of games like euchre do have more deductive minds, um, and it it really bothers. Especially, I think I would like it. If it was my thing, sure. Say like euchre is for many people, um, mm-hmm. but when you play games like this or trick taking games or uh, euchre, for example, uh, you get people who you rarely get people who are all new playing it for the first time. They're like, mm-hmm. I understand how if I have this, then there's that, and there's this left, and there's this made. They understand all those kind of chessy three, four layers deep stuff when you're just trying to figure out the basics of the game, right? And that's always frustrating to me. Okay, so that's what I, I wanted to say that because it was important of how I think of these games. This one would probably be the top trick-taking game. And if someone said, I want to play one of those, that's the only one I'd pick. Because it is pretty fun. It does a lot. It takes a lot of those things away um, and lets you pick stuff. Like picking the color, I picked that this is blue. Like I can just pick it and I have kind of that thing. I always know what the Trump suit is i always everything's all kind of very out there and you can see things visually it's not just cards that are played or out there they're on it you put your your cube on the thing and you can see everything 
And that was really, really helpful and just kind of, you know, I saw how things worked. I would say it's not a game that I would jump on because it's a trick-taking game. Sure. I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, let's grab this out. But if someone needed an extra player for it, I would happily play. Right? Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I can definitely play this game and enjoy it. I also follow that up with, again, the only time I played it once, I won. And I don't want that to silly my thing, but you, sometimes you can't help that, you know, oh, I can see this is better. And it works because you did it that one time. I don't know if I play it multiple times and I would not be able to get it. Um, so it could have just been the, the stars aligning. Yeah, there there uh, are definitely, um, boy, we could, maybe not a whole topic, but that's almost a whole topic where we talk about, like, um, uh, longevity of games and, and how often games get replayed, right, like, trick-taking games like euchre are 100 plus years old i know for me euchre my grandparents played and they taught my parents and they taught me and so pretty much everyone in my family can play euchre and therefore teaching them a trick-taking game is not like you've already learned a, a complicated we talked about this i don't know sometime years ago where um card games classic card games are light on components right you just need the same deck that you use for every game of cards every card yeah. game uh however they all have steep learning curves to varying degrees right um because the cards are just the cards the cards don't give you any information about what game you're playing um right. and so uh, because of that i think they tend to be like you just play the same like I played cards with my grandparents, but we play we had like three or four games. Right? There was a, right. a kind of a kind of rummy that had wilds, there was Euchre, there was a bidding game called uh thirty one and uh up and down the river, right? Or oh hell. Yeah. And you know, you maybe pick up a couple more and you pick up bullshit, the bluffing game, or um you learn solitaire or whatever. Um, and they're like, it's kind of the epitome of that, like just play one game. And so you get, you, you don't just get the rules and like, how does Trump work? How do the jacks work in Euchre? But you learn strategy because you're just playing the same game over and over. Um, right. Where for a group like ours, that's learning new games all the time it's a lot more um, like the learning curve has to be shallower because you're not going to play Arc Nova 15 times to figure it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I do, like I said, I do, do like it would give anyway. it a thumbs up and, and the $30 price tag, you're right. It's a little, it might be a little bit high, but I actually think it's $30 worth of a game. That's what, what I thought when, when, when I, for sure. That yeah, I mean, I a little higher. I, I, I would definitely say no. Like if it's forty, like pass. But thirty, yeah, it, it's it, it had it to earn that thirty dollars. You know, I assume it had like a like a low a low um, print run or something. But even at that price, I will buy it before Christmas and teach it to my family because, as I oh, said, yeah. yes, they can all play trick checking games and um, right. I, I think it's a super cool and unique concept. Yep. So another game I played, and this one is weird, and I really don't want to talk too much about it because I would take too much time. So I'm going to explicitly re restrict myself to just feelings and not necessarily mechanics. 
or okay. as a lot of mechanics. It's uh, called The Last Kingdom. Now, this is weird because it is themed off of the Netflix show The Last Kingdom, which Ooh. has a very strong following, but nothing like world encompassing like, say, Game of Thrones was. No, Obviously, right. I was a huge fan of the series, um, but when you get a game a, a that is a, the, a themed game based on a Netflix series, it's circumspect, right? Like, okay, maybe it'll just be good for, for me. Yeah. Um, Ske- you're skeptical. Skeptical. That's, that's, uh, that's a good word. Uh, so um, our buddy Trotsky, who's also a huge fan of the series, he and I both watched it together. So we were going to play it. We, I felt like we roped in Pat and Fox. We didn't actually rope them in. They were ex- happy to play. Um, but it was a longer game that we were going to play. And it went on while you were playing Expeditions, I think. So it was about two hour yeah. game, I think. Yeah. There were three the the four of you were playing uh Last Kingdom while Fox not Fox, while Jill and Nathan and Pete played Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica. Right. While and, while and, the four of us, Justin, Chris, Aaron and I played Expeditions. Right. So those um, all games ended close to the same amount of times. I know we had a little bit of an extra hour built in because we, we went through the dized um, instructions online and it was very slow and, oh, and okay. plotting. It took an hour to get through I wondered the instructions. Why, why your game took longer than than either of ours. Yeah, because we went through an God. hour of this how to play, which was of, so long. How to play. Yeah. Um, and, but on the other hand, it actually did teach us really well on how, how to do it. So that was sure. your side. Um, and no one knew how to play. Okay, right, right. so that that's the game. There's the setup. Um and I thought that Mike and I would enjoy it because of the theme and, and so on. Uh, but it turned out to be an immensely enjoyable game that all of us liked. Has so many neat nuances, but not complicated. Um, easy to teach. Um, every turn is pretty straightforward. Um, and we will definitely keep it in our regular game cycle from here on out. Because just the game was just by itself was without the theme, so well done. And I had I had D and D the movie feelings about it in that you can totally and everyone Pat and Fox did enjoy this game completely oblivious to the characters or themes or whatever. The but as sure. people okay. who actually watch the show, you totally get what is happening kind of like I, I played a guy, my character that that I played was um, a guy who's constantly shifty and he's changing allegiances constantly. And he's never going to be the hero. Cause he's kind of always the, 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 the toad. Um, and sure enough, every one of his abilities, which there's not a ton that you really have, but be- because of that limitations, the ones you have are pretty powerful. Right. And they played exactly to how he was uh, Fox played the King who ends up being kind of like the King of England. And he could not change to any side and only got huge points for being like on what's called Wessex where, or England side. Yeah. Um, and everything he did, he kept saying like, man, I'm just so cornered into to being this one straightforward, <laughs> one singular track mind guy. And then by the, the mid to end of the game, he was the biggest threat because he was so open and very much like a paladin type thing. You'd know that what that sure. character is doing now. And, I, and it, like, Oh, that's his character. But I knew that character in the, the show. And that's exactly how he is. One track right. mind type person. I'm like, they just really got that theme 
with every mechanic, but you don't need them at all. It just super enhances it like D&D the movie. Um, so you in this game, a neat thing without talking much of the mechanics is that you are going, uh, it's Danes. They're the Danes that are coming in. Those were basically the Vikings uh, coming in. And there are the scattered realms of what is pre-England. Um, and like Mercia, Wessex, you know, things like that. And you, Umbria, Northumbria, Northumbria. Yes. And the Vikings will come in or the North and there'll be a war in each one of these five kingdoms. Um, and there's only, then you do a war in each one and then you, every, and everybody plays their cards in each war. And then once that's done, you do another round of those and that's the game. It's all over. So there's only two rounds and five t- total of 10 battles. That's it. And you play a character that helps send armies and troops in back and forth. And you can go in help in those battles. Some characters are better than others. Um, but m- there are ways to switch sides. Again, very thematic as the show. Characters will switch sides. They'll be like, I'm tired of these, you know, stuck up English people over here. They're just trying to do this thing and think they're holier than thou. I want to become a a happy-go-lucky raider, uh, you know, Dane and pick their side. Or the Danes get tired of them being chaotic and just crazy people, murderers. Uh, I'm sorry, not speaking for Danes in general, just as it was back then. And go in to try to be the English and you can do that. And, and many times the whole game is centered around, Oh, we're building up a big fight here. We're all going to fight, but I can switch sides. And if I switch sides right in the middle of the fight, now I get points for being on this side and then I'll go through on the next battle. And it points, if it's not favoring me, I can switch. Now it's not easy to switch. It's, it's a little difficult, but possible. And every, everybody except for Fox's character can has the potential and ability to kind of switch sides. Um, mm-hmm. But once you switch, it's hard to switch back for, sure. for the round type say. Um, so you think like, for example, Pat would make a move. He's really helping the Danes out here. He's Mike was like Danes most of the time playing, putting strategic pieces to kind of f- help the Danes. And then it gets, comes out and we're all like, Mike can't be leading here. He's really, really, doing really well with the Danes. So we all kind of go to stop him. And then he switches sides right at the, near the end of the battle. Hmm. He's like, Oh yeah. And I get points for that. I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. So there's just a lot of, you know, whose side are you on and whose side will you be compared, today? I heard it compared to war of whispers kind of, and, and something else. I, forget what I really like war. He called it dominion and war of whispers. Whispers. I don't know if I, Think of that because the idea of dominion, it being dominion or not, not dominion, uh, diplomacy. Diplomacy. I've never played diplomacy. I haven't but either, but I, all I know I about heard diplomacy. You guys is... doing a lot of debating, and that there, there are times when I'm super optimistic and I'm like, maybe I could really try to learn that. But for the most part, I'm like, that, like having to convince somebody to do something in order to win a game is like death to me. Like, I, that, right. No, I 100% agree. Personality. Yes absolutely and that's that's what when when trotsky kept calling it diplomacy i was really like wanting to shoot back i couldn't because i don't haven't actually played diplomacy but every mm-hmm. time i've heard about it it's just talk just constant talking and convincing and that is yeah. just as you said just tales i just hate it i want to throw up right i just hate doing that um but th- so this one i didn't feel like that was at all and i know that everyone from the outside 
kept looking at our game and, and seeing that, right? Oh, they're just trying to convince us. But, I, but that really kind of wasn't it. It was how it works is um, whose side do you want to end up on? And it's not a person's side. There's only two sides. There's the Danes right. or the, the English. And, and that's it. And you're going to score points based on who wins this one fight. The question is, what is this person going to do? Right? Are they are they going to really help out on this fight, or fake you out and go the other way? Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like recruiting them to help. You kind of can, but at any point, you ask someone to help in a region because you want, say, I want Danes to win in this region. So because I'm going to be full on Danes, I've decided that it's kind of silly. To, first off, just to, to declare that you're going to be straight up one side, um, sure. unless you're fox's king character who is only one side and because it does not benefit you to stay that way you know if if the tide turns um it's just trying to figure out sometimes is the guy going to push hard here is he not going to push hard there and when that that diplomacy aspect was us just trying to suss that out right pat are you are you going to go for the danes he's like i don't know maybe like are you sure you're going to go you know, like, ah, and, we, and then we just talk it out. Like, well, Pat did this last time. He can't be a traitor there. It wouldn't be advantageous for him. To, so it's just us talking about what, what he might do type sure. stuff. But at no point, and I was, I'm happy to report, is it really convincing the other people to do what you want them to do? Because at every point, they're out for themselves. And it's only they're going to take moves to their, their advantage. Sure. Um, so, but anyway, I've talked, I already talked too long about that game just because you should play it if you like strategic games. I would say that the game lasts about two hours, hour and a half um, with four players if you know what you're, how to play. If, so, if you actually know, how to play yeah, before yeah. The, beforehand. Not, but man, is it fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just really, really fun. And multiple different ways to play because the characters are so wildly different. And we just played with four of, I think, ten. Um, and it's just very different. Not there's people on the board, as Trotsky says, dudes on the board, but there's just not, it's not too many. It's not too many to get overwhelmed with your actions and turns are very limited. I think at most I had, um, six cards total for an entire round and there's only two rounds. And that was a lot, um, mm-hmm. to play with. So you don't have, you don't get overwhelmed with things that you can do. You really don't. You just have, a few straightforward options, which I really appreciated. Um, didn't have to really get into stuff. And that's what Fox came away saying. He really enjoyed it. Same here. Even if I didn't win, which I did. Uh, it's still just a joy to play and figure out what things are happening and, and how it's going to be in every little fun little battle that happens. It was, was really good. I'm excited to play that one again. All right. That's enough of that one. What else we got? We got, um, we got, we don't forget. We got to finish it. We got to fit in our, our movie at some point. So we're, movie, yeah. So, um, real quickly, uh, I'll just mention this briefly cause I barely remember. We played a drinking game called heroes of Barcadia. I also um, barely forget, remember that game. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got a couple of clever things. Every player has a, um, 12 ounce plastic beer glass that is graduated by which I mean it has marks up the side going from 0 to 50 or 60 because it's... Ah, some half. characters. Some characters have like 80. Some characters have 40. Oh, the, the, the markings are different. I did not catch they that. They are. Yeah, I so you, that. you 
you fill your glass with liquid and then you do quests or something and when you take damage you have to drink from your uh um quest i finished a drinking game game. yeah i finished that game with a full glass you did Unfortunately, no. (laughs) I had a second glass that I was drinking from, but my my gameplay glass had no beer um, gone from it when the game ended. Um, So that was a kind of clever uh, thing. I can't really say any more about the game because I don't remember. It was the first night, and we played that after being at the Alley Bar. Um, Yeah, it it was it it was very simple. Not a lot of strategy to it. It was a very fitting drinking game, but it did have. It, it, because it was just simple. The guy, the person who won randomly found that thing he needed to find first or the two or three things, then ran to the thing and won. Like, there's some interaction where we kind of stopped him and that was fun, but it, right. he was going to win. And that's just because that's just you just get the right things. Um, yeah. And nobody really yeah. cared because it was really quick. Right. Um, the the heavier game that I'll also talk about just briefly that I played while you were playing Last Kingdom. Which is was, unfortunate because I actually want to know about this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say as much as I can. Um, okay. So this is a Stonemaier game. It's called Expeditions from the makers of Scythe. Scythe. Um, I've only played Scythe a couple times. I can tell you the theme is virtually identical to Scythe. I think it's a, okay. it's a sequel like some years in the future. So there are still mechs, but the mechs are slightly different. Um, I like Scythe a lot. I definitely like Scythe. There, it seems it's maybe simpler than Scythe, but not by a lot. Um, things it has that I remember from Scythe are the max and the theme, obviously. Yeah. Um, the the multiple paths to victory in the form of here are stars you get for completing these sort of goals, mini goals. Um, those those are the big similarities that I, that I remember. There are no other units than the mechs. No, I take that back. There are mechs and there are meeples, but the meeples don't go on the board. Um, you play with cards and your cards are, you start out with a person and a pet and, um, the cards, they call them hand and active space, but all the cards are face up. So you have cards on the left side of your player mat and cards on the right. The ones on the left are your hand, so they're not in play. And um, the play action is to take one of those cards and put it on the right side, and now it's active. The cards all have a um, a default reward in the top corner, and then they have a power at the bottom. The power at the bottom has a, um, a, a meeple of a specific color associated with it. So if you have that meeple available on your player mat you can put it on that card and do whatever that bonus get reward or take action is okay um then the map is hexes that are all numbered and two-thirds of them are face down at the start and um you have a default movement so on your turn your player mat and and you indicate this with a little cube um you have three available actions which are move play and gather at the beginning of the game you can do all three of those so you move your mech onto a hex which is the map is made of hexes i think i said that yeah yeah. um and you can do you can do the actions in any order um so 
at the beginning of the game, some of the, the close to the starting area hexes have meeples um, as, the, as their gather icon, their resource. And it'll, say, it'll be like a yellow or a blue. And so I would move my mech onto that hex, and I would say I'm going to use the gather action, and I'm going to take that yellow meeple. Well, my right. person, my starting card, has a yellow power. So for my play action, I play that um, person to the right side of my board, um, collect the resource from the top left corner, and put the put the meeple on there to do whatever her um, power is. Yeah. Then there are uh, quest cards, meteorite cards, and item cards. Uh, those cards, there's a deck, and then there are five put and maybe the board changes depending, but we had five face up in these sort of gaps between the hexes on the map. Yeah. Um, and then your player board has space on the top right and bottom. Um, so what happens is you acquire those, those three kinds of cards and those all work like your starting cards. They have a default reward they might have a meeple action. Um, and then there are spaces on the board where the um, one of the gather actions is, uh, well, not in the case of quests. One is upgrade for items and, and forge or fuse or something for meteorites. And in both of those cases, it means you take that card of either of those two types, items or meteorites, and you tuck it under your board. So it's no longer a card you can play, but now it has some kind of passive that triggers when you do something else. Okay. Hi, okay. Um, like the, yes, this feels very exciting. Yeah. The, the quest cards um, have a requirement and a number. The, to, to solve a quest card, you need a solve action, which is the, the default action of your person, your starting card. And then there are other cards that give you additional solve actions. So what that means is if I have a quest and I want to complete it, I need three things. I need all the resources to solve it, which is there are two different colored resources. Those are the things you get in the top left corner of the cards on the play action. Okay. Um, I, need, I need the resources it requires. Its number tells you what hex it... Um, coincides with so my mech needs to be in the right numbered hex for that quest okay right so i have to move to that location i need the resources to solve it and i need an available solve action so i need one of my cards with the solve power to be on the left side of my board so that i can play it and put the meeple on it to then trigger the solve action and there are some there's some exceptions to that like your pet or at least the pet I had, let me trigger um, an action on a previous card. So if I played my person the, the turn before, I could play the pet and activate their ability to activate the solve ability on the card I'd played previously. Um, I'm getting a little into the weeds there. But um, <laughs> the other... I said this at the beginning. You have the three choices. After your first... After the first turn you have this cube that moves up onto the, the three available actions yeah. and it has to cover one of them up. It has to cover one of them up and you have to move it every time. So if I, if I, on my turn, I use move and gather the, my next turn, I either have to play and gather or move and play. 
Okay. Right, I have to move the cube to a different space. Then um, there is a sort of like a long rest. It's called refresh in this game, where um, if I refresh, I take the cube and put it, there's a space for refresh. And then I take all my cards and meeples from the right side of my board and put them back on the left, right? So you're resetting everything. You're drawing all your cards back. You're resetting your actions. But that's my turn, right? So I'm skipping right. my turn to reset everything. Now on my next turn, I can do all three actions again. And then it goes back into the, you know, here are your three options, pick two. And the two have to be different every time. Okay. Um, that's the basic loop. Um, the, the goals are coincide with those things, right? You, um, you, you acquire a certain number of meeples, you collect a certain number of active cards, which are not tucked cards. And then mm -hmm. for each of the quest item or meteorite cards, um, getting four of each of those will get you a star. Um, okay. Yeah. The stars, stars are the winning thing. Stars are the winning thing. When somebody gets four stars, it triggers the end. Everybody gets one more turn. Um, the sort of interesting twist with this is that the the victory points are money. You don't really use money for anything else, which is kind of strange to me. But um, victory points are indicated with coins, and they're ones, threes, fives, and tens. Um, and the stars are scored based on the number of quests you complete. So yeah, okay. um, if you do no quests, the stars are worth five. If you complete one quest, they're worth six. If you get two, they're worth eight. Yeah. And okay. if you get three, they're worth ten. And then it stops. So you could get 15 quests, and the stars are still only worth ten apiece. So yeah. it's like you have multiple paths. You can do yeah. whatever you want, but you're going to you're going to have a hard time winning if you don't do some quests. Right. That's like yes. the one sort of mandatory. And what it, what it doesn't have that I remember from Scythe is there is no combat of any kind. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I know that our buddy Trotsky has said that's one he didn't like about Scythe is that there's all these cool pieces on the board and there's, there's only a little bit of combat. My thought yeah. was that like, I liked Scythe and I liked that it only had a little bit of combat because it really looks like a game that would be very combat heavy and like a Twilight Imperium type thing. You've got all these things mm -hmm. and they just clash and such, but, but um, Scythe doesn't. And I thought, man, you know, I understand that there's only one component of this thing is fighting and it, and they really kind of discourage fighting too much. I think you just, one person once wins twice and that's really, that's all you need. It could right. be wrong. But I remember it was minimal. It's something like I that. Thought, like you, you get a reward for fighting, but it maxes out very quickly. Right. And, and I thought, you know, I'm glad that they did that. I wouldn't be hurt, secretly hurt, if they even didn't have that in the game. So I thought it sounds like, <laughs> oh, they took that out, which is pretty, pretty good. About, about the only kind of, um, like, antagonism um, is that only one person can be on a hex at a time. And the so you might I don't know this would kind of hurt you but you could um, like block somebody from a quest location if you really wanted mm -hmm. to sure um, but the the stars are not automatic right this is a sort of like where I got a glimpse into the lore because I've not played nearly enough scythe to have any idea about the lore but 
when it once you meet the conditions to get a star, you have to go to a hex with a star gather action and use that gather action to collect that star onto your map. And what what we said for the lore was like, well, it doesn't matter if you complete four quests if you don't go back to the tavern and brag about it. Um, because <laughs> those that that star action is called boasting. Ah, like, oh, that's that's a funny kind of thing. And there's one more mechanic I didn't explain, which is um, corruption. The hexes have um, the ones that you uncover. The starting ones don't have this, but the ones you uncover have. Um, like one gather that's visible and then another one that's covered in corruption and that's indicated by a minimum number so it'll say like five plus and then you have a bag of uh, uh, token squares like uh, like like scrabble tiles okay. um, that are numbered like from three to five I think okay. and they're two different colors and you have to pull those blindly until you meet that minimum so you might pull, a, if it's five, you might pull a five the first time and you're like, oh, that was easy. You might pull a three the first time and you're like, okay, now it's eight because the next one was a five. Um, and that's one of the things, those are worth points at the end. And if you get like seven of them, um, it's a star. Okay. There, there's also one special one of those that's a 20, uh, which means the the two resources that you gather have tracks from zero to twenty, so you have to fill up both of those tracks and get to that location, and then you can take that one, and that one's worth a star by itself. I, I managed to do that. Um, oh, okay. Nice. And then each of the each of the different mechs goes with a faction, just like um, Scythe, and has its own special power. Like um, Chris's had four movements. Uh, range instead of three or something. Okay, got it. Yeah, so that's... I guess I remember more details of that game than I thought, but I did play <laughs> it for like two and a half hours, so right, I guess yeah. it's not surprising. Well, I, I look forward to us playing it again. Ho- hopefully we can pull that out. And, and I did miss it. I had, had to choose between the games, and this was the one that, that came out when we, when we played it. So I, I remember when we were picking picking teams, so to speak, I was like, Dennis and I could be on different teams so that we can talk about it differently for the show <laughs> so even though i couldn't play in that game that i wanted to i was glad that you got to play in that game so that we could talk mm-hmm. about it here oh, that's cool um all right well let's see we've got how much time we got here we got a little bit of time i can go over we played uh 20 minutes dog 25. What was dog lever i can't remember i don't oh i played power grid i won't talk about power grid too much it's a favorite of a lot of people's uh it's okay uh to me um it's, it's a game I've played a couple times, and I always forget. People, yeah. Like, I picture someone something else when people say Power Grid, and then I look at it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is that ticket to ride with the with the uh, power plants. Yes, that. that. Uh, I I have a... I, I, told, I told... It's one of Fox and Jill's favorite games, I know. Uh, and I told them what I, what I... Something I usually do, and I am strongly... Uh, proponent of is that uh, you shouldn't judge a game by the first time you play it. You know, even though you sure. may like it or whatever, or don't like it, you should probably give it another ch- chance just to see, cause it could be one that you won and that's why you like it. Or you got lucky or, you know, it was terrible. Maybe you just got the wrong hands or gotten, the, you didn't understand something early on, et cetera, et cetera. Power grid feels that way in that when I looked at it, one of the things I often do is when I understand a game, 
uh, and Sydney can't stand this when I do this. I try to find a way to break it. And I, what I mean is that you look for the, the easy way to win. How can I consistently do something that's simple to win? Right. Okay. Um, sure. And like the, and I, like the band bamboo in uh, Takanoko. Yes. Right. Like the bamboo in Takanoko. Right. Um, and, and, and if, and if it's a good game, it won't have that. Right. Uh, sure. I think it's a sign actually of a real bad game when there's a th- consistent way to always win mm-hmm. and, or, or to win the majority of the time. And I think I felt that way in power grid and I couldn't find a way that that wouldn't apply, but I only played the game one time. So I don't know. Mm. Uh, and, and that is in that game, it's the rich keep getting richer. It's if you on your first turn happen to get the most things out, cause the goal is to get things out and then that ends the game. Uh, and if you can get the most out in the first turn and have them turned on, which gives you the most money, you will continue to have more money to get more things out, to get more, even more money. And it snowballs. It's that snowball thing. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, I, and I, now that you're saying that, I remember that happening as we played because um, I don't think Sid was in the game, but your 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 strategy was annoying other people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it has what what felt at first like very strong uh, rubber bandy catch up, you know, sort of sort of balance mechanic. Um, yeah. But I can sort of see what you're saying i don't i don't know that i fully agree i've not played it enough either um but it made sense where we're like oh yeah you kind of need you kind of need a strong catch-up mechanic when you have this um this sort of snowball effect well well it does and i and i will give that big credit for that I, i had mentioned after round one i was like oh man being in the lead or being sorry, yeah. being in last place gives you huge advantages. Being in the lead doesn't right. necessarily give you disadvantages. You just being last lets you pick first, gives you all the choices first. Uh, you get to buy resources cheaper and do everything cheaper. But just by the pure numbers, by coming having things having kind of like being poor already, even though you get things cheaper, you can't. You only have very little to spend, right? Right. And a, a guy who, and then also, in in the, be, being able to pick first means you might like, get something you like, but the person in, in first place doesn't ever get shafted. So there's not this game doesn't do a thing where you're like, oh, I'm totally screwed because of this. They don't ever hurt the first player; they just help the last player, which is a great positive thing, right? But that first person is always in a strong position, always, and it's simply because they always have money, a lot of money, and they continue to get. It's the haves and have nots. I got money to make money and I continue to get to, as long as I continue to make money, it does. And our game did shake out exactly that after round two, where we, cause you put your, you're put in order of who's winning each round. Like right? if you're in the lead with the number of plants, then you're in first and you can see by the colors. We had our colors in order that lasted the entire game. No, but Justin and I switched up one time from uh, last place to second last place. And there was just, there's just no coming back. Uh, by the time you got to round like to the th- a third of the way through the game, you're like, this is how it's set in because I'm, I might be able to b- progress just like everyone else, but everyone else is also progressing at the same rate. And I'll never make as much as the person who's already one step in front of me because they're always making more than me. Sure. Right. 
Uh, so that was my experience with it, which made it not all that great fun. All the mechanics are great and work well and has the pieces on the board, like ticket to ride, which is really fun. Um, and it doesn't last terribly long, right? It's right. An hour maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I have to play it again. Um, right. and see if, if I take that strategy to just jump out lead first at all costs will, will work out. Uh, after the game was over, Nathan, who won, said as much. He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I do every time I play, and that's how I win. <laughs> like, yeah, that, <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense. He's like, yeah, I just you always just jump out and spend everything right off the bat, and you win every time. I'm like, well, that's not cool. <laughs> uh, so I'll play it again because people like it a lot. Yeah, um, for sure. And, 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 I'll, and I'll see if uh, – because if, if that's the way – and there's no way to you know to beat the number one, the top two or three people, then it's not that it's not a game that's not for me really, um, unless I of course am those top two or three people. Well, let's see before we got about 15 minutes left, we should probably talk about our movie. We've got this. Uh, I won't say the last week of Pride and Prejudice, but we're because I I need a break from it this next week. Uh, but we are going to do it. We're doing this week. Uh, it's our third pride and prejudice third that's right film movie show thing you want to go ahead and talk about that all right this week we watched the lizzie bennett diaries um which is not a movie or a tv show but is a web series from uh 2012 2013 uh it lasted for about a year um the first YouTube or the first web series to ever win an Emmy, uh, which has a very long outstanding creative achievement in interactive media dash original interactive program. That, which that is, is quite a mouthful as <laughs> a mouthful for a for an award title. Um, this I, I talked about this a little bit last week when when I pitched this, I watched this while it was airing. This is quote unquote airing when it was on YouTube. Um it's the story of Pride and Prejudice told in the form of a, a video blog diary or vlog. Um, it is modern day or 2012 modern day. So it's pretty much modern day with a little, a little bit of outdated wardrobe and slang and their phones are all really small. <laughs> <laughs> um and they still got the 30 pin connector. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, <laughs> I did not. Uh, uh, otherwise, compared to the novel and both of the um, both the movie and the miniseries that we watched previously, it's definitely modern day. Um, and so the the story is updated, right? For modern day, like it's not. Um, yeah. It hits, it doesn't it hits have, most things, but yes. Yeah, like the... the. It's one of the things I think like, that makes Pride and Prejudice timeless, right? Is that it's still relevant today. Yeah. The, and it's like mostly the, about humans. Right. The details in terms of like whether somebody needs to get married to survive an inheritance and, and all of that is... Was specific to the Regency era. Um, but... Everything else in terms of interpersonal uh, in, relationships, interactions, like, you know, uh, um, difficult or challenging 
mothers and sisters and meeting new people. And, and even, even today, you still have the mothers that are like, well, you, you, if you marry a rich doctor or a lawyer, then you're going to be great, right? Which is also, which is not untrue and still holds today. Maybe not the right. exact it's, same thing as a regency, but very close still. Yeah, if you, it's, if it's you not marry a, somebody who's rich, it, it's life not is quite different. The, yeah. It's not quite the existential threat that it was in the regency. And even then, we talked about this last mm -hmm. week and the week before, like the the daughters weren't going to die if they didn't make good marriages, didn't make good matches. Um, you know, they might have to work the rest of their lives or they might have to live off the kindness of relatives, right? Like those are right. challenging things in that, per in that perspective. And that's how it is in or modern Catherine day, especially... Catherine de Berg, who, um, and the wonderful Catherine de Berg, <laughs> right, right. Who, who in, um, in this series is a, is a investor, right. A venture right. capitalist, yeah. um, instead of a, instead of a noble. And a lot of those things, even without the overt class system that like wealth and power still holds true in, you know, 10 years ago or today yeah. American culture the way that it did in Regency England so so very much of the show and I would say not until you get to be about the last 25% is very much different most of it is from the characters and their circumstances and things are very very the same with the yeah. exception uh, that Lizzie's going to school that's but that sets up right off the at the at the beginning that she's going to to mm -hmm. grad school that and that she's yeah. doing this this thing um the the whole concept of the the video blog is is right. but well, that's all set up in the first episode and then from then on it's pride and prejudice and all the characters are the same they have the same issues the same problems the same personalities you know and not until very later to, is there any any really deviation from the story and when they deviate it's just it's not really deviation in the first 75%. It's just renaming things. So instead of, um, I'm trying to think before Pemberley, that's really a big thing. Uh, so there's, there's no like, um, like he's not no getting, like, Bingley's not getting a, a stipend a for random, his stuff. He's going to be a doctor, you know, that kind of thing. Right. He's a med student, right? right. Not a, he hasn't inherited. I mean, he probably will inherit wealth, but that's not what's important. It's his career. Um, but even and like Darcy, the gatherings and, and are not, they're, they're not just like a dance. Like somebody, you know, holds a, whatever they call it. It wasn't a ball cause the ball was a bigger deal, but it was like somebody's wedding, wedding. They all it's went wedding, to, right. Because that's what it like. We don't have social dances held for all ages, right? Like we have nightclubs and stuff, but we don't have dances as social gatherings anymore, except out, outside of the context of weddings. Um, yeah. And, and it really starts to deviate a lot, as you said, toward um, toward the last... When you get past, kind of from Mr. Collins on. Um, and I don't know. I could talk about this a lot, so I'd let you... Yeah. I, what, what I what I wanted first. to hit on here, since people have also listened to Pride and Prejudice for the last two weeks and, and see this one mm -hmm. is different, is to, like last week, talk about the differences here. Um mm -hmm. And obviously the, the, the video blog is the biggest one. Um, and and it, it, the winning the Emmy makes a lot of sense because they just, it's such a unique way of telling the story. Um, and they really successfully do that by 
talking and words instead of showing. Uh, sorry, talking words and acting, right? With a small, mm-hmm. small cast. And it makes even the, the uh, 95 ones look huge in comparison, right? Right. Um, you have at most two or three, and it's rare when it's three, people sitting in front of the, the camera and talking to the camera for no more than seven minutes. Now, it's 100 right. episodes, so it's pretty long. Um, and yeah, it's, it's over five, somewhere between five and six hours, I think. The episodes are, what's the Wikipedia say? Like five to eight minutes, four to eight minutes, something like that. Right. Um, and so they go pretty quick. I mean, that, that's something. I, mm-hmm. I, I will admit, I, I watched this, uh, and I'm using watch loosely because it was mostly listen. <laughs> Um, while I was doing something else at, at the computer. And right. I'd have it over here on the left-hand side, and I would be doing other work. Um, and then I could just hear it, because it's really a lot of that stuff. And then you can glance over there and see that. So this is definitely primed for that kind of viewing. Er- um, but it, it is it is them talking or conveying what happened. So, um, mm-hmm. again, because it's like it's very much a diary is kind yep. of how it goes. Um, if you're watching Pride and Prejudice, you don't actually get to see the ball you get Lizzie to go back and write in her journal what happened. And that's what right. you read. That's what, that's how this entire story is told. Mm-hmm. Um, with her sisters coming in, her sisters are main characters throughout this whole time because they will come in and often she will say, instead of just me telling you viewers what happened, I'm going to have interacted out with my sisters and they'll yeah, play the parts. You don't even theater. see Darcy until, over halfway through the, the all the episodes, like right, like fifty or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and you see Bing Lee, which is Mister Bingley, uh, a couple times, but they are very rare. It's mostly these three sisters that that are and and Catherine, who is um, uh, Lizzie's uh, friend. So and they're just they're just reciting the things that happened and how they feel about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that is very transferable from the Pride and Prejudice stuff. Lizzie is always clear in every version, including the book, of how she feels about Darcy and how she feels about this person and that person. She's a very outspoken person in all adaptations. So it Mm -hmm. makes sense that she would be here talking to the the Internet about her feelings and how she feels about things. Just translates very, very easily. Um, And so do the other characters because they've chosen characters that are outspoken or who speak um their feelings often like jane uh doesn't but she's often the big support to in all versions and she comes down and talks jane down often from that stuff and then you've got lydia who in every version is super emotional and super giddy and jumping all over the place and talks Mm -hmm. about her emotions constantly Uh, so again that just translates perfectly into them telling about how they felt what they thought happened in the previous, you know, off screen right. all the time. Um, oh. and then, and then they have, uh, I don't know if it's bad for lack of a better term, girl talk. Cause they are girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll talk to each other with, um, Charlotte or, uh, Lizzie who are best friends and they'll get on thing and talk to each other about how they feel about what happened and kind of work it out. Um, and then things happen, all the exact same things that happen, uh, the events that happen in the book and in the other movies happen here. We just hear them talk about it uh, as they happen. So w- w- what's one? When 
there's the ball or the dance. Yeah. She, they come back and all of them talk about what they felt and how that person did and whatever they're telling us in a quick right. seven minute, you know, four to eight minute uh, time, which is never long. They don't talk to that. They're better than us mm-hmm. at keeping things short. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And that, that's the saving grace. I think of this series is that it is in these very short things that they talk quickly and are still good and are very well acted on, on all the things. So that's, the, I think, are the biggest takeaways from how it translates, you know, from this version to different ones. And then you can now talk about, if you don't mind, the, the actual big changes, not differences, but like changes that they made to the story. Uh, yeah. So and, and why um, they might have done that. Yeah. A lot of it, as, as we talked about before, this it's, it's updated to a modern context, right? So, um, I don't know how, but I mean, you're familiar with the story. So me talking about the changes, I recommend watching it. If you like Pride and Prejudice, it's a, it's, it almost seems too strong to call it a new spin, but because it's a modern context, because they're not, you know, in the Regency era economically and, and, and societally and all of these things. um, Mr. Collins is never a romantic interest. He's not connected with the family in any way. What he does is offer Lizzie, a really good job right and as someone in the in the youtube comments pointed out um her turning him down in this modern context of like she's just a student her family is poor she's said many times she has no career prospects after she gets her master's mm-hmm. and is gonna be living with you know massive student loan debt right. and she doesn't like him for the same reasons you know he's not that different of a character He's a, you know, he's a, a businessman instead of a, a, a pastor, a, a vicar, reverend, whatever he is, um, parson. Um, right. And because she doesn't like him, she turns him down. And to us, it, it almost translates better than the original because we don't have like, you know, obviously, uh, I mean, not obviously, but we said this before. Jane Austen was writing contemporary novels. Right. right, they were for that audience at the time, where we you have can very see, little like, exposure to someone, and then they we, have to be married. Right, we need to sort of learn and understand like how ridiculous it was for her to turn down that marriage proposal. Where in this case, we're like, why would she turn that? Like, that's such a good offer. Like, she's being so stubborn and like, you know, again, prejudiced by turning it down, and and that's just one example like the the lydia story is all different and i think well well, well you know, real quickly like, can i come on that that thing you just said yeah, the first yeah, one yeah. before you move to the next one i just want to say that i think it helps uh make uh charlotte better she's really good and i mentioned last one in all the other translations mm-hmm. i like the character of charlotte and how she sure. manipulates kind of in a way but she's more powerful this one was very easy without any kind of nuances uh, to see Charlotte making the choice that Lizzie didn't and taking advantage of it for the long term and becoming better because yeah. of that. I think this Make Charlotte me. was a good, uh, because of that change that you just said, it really helped a lot of things with Char- the character of Charlotte. Okay, go yeah. on to the next one. Um, the, um, let's see. The, I mean, the big one is the Lydia story right um and yeah, for sure that's that's definitely and, and i think also very well translated to the new way it's, it's 
it's another way that it's that it's updated and translated and i think ends in a more positive way than the original right um you know you know uh well we're i, I guess we're it's kind of in spoilers go ahead and mention it because it it's kind of important because yeah we're gonna, Lydia we're gonna and all the other ones goes off and gets married to wickham and they don't really right. address that what happened was bad yeah so the 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 um, context of Darcy and and Wickham is mostly the same, except that um, instead of going into the church, he was going to go to school. And Darcy's father gave him, you know, basically a big scholarship to pay for his school. And instead of going to school, he spent all the money. Right. If that's, yeah, yeah. that's basically the same more. thing. Mm-hmm. And then asked for more. And also you know tried to seduce georgiana um and then seduces lydia and there's a really good um sort of side they did a couple of of sort of spin-off series to the main youtube series where when the the couple of times when lizzie leaves their home to go um like she and uh she and jane go stay with uh, Bing Lee while their house is supposedly being renovated right instead right. of making her walk in the rain and or ride horseback in the rain and getting sick like the mother concocts this plan where they have to be out of the house and the parents and they even Lydia, do the jello thing which was pretty great like right go, yeah. go and stay with um, their her cousin right they have um, Mary is not one of the sisters, but she's a cousin. You right. don't see her in the main. They mention her once or twice, but she she actually li- does come in one time. And I was like, "Who's this? Oh, Mary. Oh, she's got oh right." So they she's she's they the mention her having and, a thing. And Lydia does videos with her while they're there, while Lizzie and Jane are with Bingley and Darcy and Caroline. And then when they're all together, there are no more Lydia videos. Then when Lizzie goes to um Pemberley Digital, right, which is Darcy's company. Yeah. Um Lydia starts doing videos again where she goes to Vegas, right? Instead of going to Brighton with a bunch of soldiers, she goes to Vegas to party. And where she runs into um George Wickham and then you see videos of them together and you can really see him emotionally manipulating her mm-hmm. and it's kind of heartbreaking to watch because you know at least for me i already knew at the time these were probably airing kind of side by side um he makes a sex tape of them and it goes online on like some kind of auction crowdfunding kind of thing um and you know the same thing happens where darcy tracks him down and buys out the company that was running the site and and fixes everything but then there's no the 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 web series doesn't address what happens to wickham going forward but lydia is back at home and she's going to go back to school and make good choices there's no like forced marriage outcome which again is is cultural context right it really in time context you're like she was lydia was well, one is Lydia's much younger is a big thing in, in, in all right. the other tellings, right? And she, it's a little disturbing, but it was also a product of the time that 
in the past in other versions, she's very happy being with Wickham at the end. She right. never accepts him as a bad person, uh, even though we all kind of know he is. And this is this change that you've just described has again, I think, in this updated version, made it much clearer to a modern audience to understand the situation. And then they didn't shy away from the fact that this isn't okay. You know, that that kind of bad thing that he, that Wickham did um, is not acceptable in society today. And back then, right. the bad thing that Wickham did was not acceptable, but they didn't speak of it, right? And, and you just find ways to get around it uh, and it's part of you just you just accept this right yeah well they they covered it up because the it it could they got only married instead of eloping you know right the 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 damage to her and her family is much greater like he he would have been kind of disgraced but in a couple years he maybe could have made some kind of you know not as good match you know he never had any fortune so you know right. it wouldn't have been great for him but her whole family would have been ruined socially from the the standpoint of making good marriage yeah. matches and, and her and things and like that and this, just, and this just told that different and showed that context. much yeah. in a much better way so that that you're right that was a that was the biggest change um and the fact that lydia didn't go with him i felt so much better from that change than even the original mm-hmm. um any of the other things we've watched i like okay that because the other ones were like, okay, they found Darcy found a socially acceptable way out of it to kind of clear their name and be fine. Uh, this one was um, Lydia being faced with a really terrifying thing of her situation and their family being faced with a very terrifying real thing and then uh, becoming better because of it, right? Mm-hmm. Lear- learning from that kind of a thing and... Darcy obviously still saving the day, um, which was the the big point. But um, yeah, uh, another one, and I'll just say it, then you can elaborate on it. Was sure. that people don't get married, not just Lydia, <laughs> but like there's no marriage. You want to talk about that with the all the characters that do that in the old books? Sure. Um, and why they would do that? Well, yeah, there's no. As I said. Uh, uh, Collins is not a romantic interest for anybody. At the end of the story, he goes to Canada with his maybe real girlfriend, which they don't. There. That's that's a new invention, isn't it? Like just, just kind of a kind of an off, uh, an off thing. So you know, Charlotte doesn't marry him. She takes over the San Francisco branch of Collins and Collins while he starts a new one up in Manitoba. Um, the the you know, the main two love stories are the same. They just don't end in weddings. Well, they, they um, end, I think pretty poignantly and went, cause both of them say no when asked to kind of firm a union, not get married, but it, we're talking about Jane and Bingley and Darcy sure. and, and they, I mean, they both say no. Jane and Bing do like Jane does come around to say yes, but they yes. don't get married. They, they go to New York together and, and don't live together. Um, so that's, that's true. I get for, they wrap that story a little earlier than the, it's not that much earlier compared to the, the novels and the films. But, well, that that's a modern um, thing, right? That, that's, that's a, that's the, mo- I think sure. an important modernization in that in the time period that all adaptations that we've seen so far that are set in that time, it's the, it's the, the guy, the, the male 
um, coming to their senses finally and asking the female to do a thing. And then as soon as that happens, it's like, yes, definitely. No question. This is, this is the thing that, that I want you to finally do. And in this one, both characters had, as we say, females had their own agency. They had their Mm -hmm. own lives and their own things that they needed to do. And the men don't dictate their lives. And when they said no, it spent four minutes probably for each of those two, two love interests to let them say, I have my own space and my own person and I need to make my own thing. And I want you to be part of that. But I'm myself. Yeah. Right. That, that's that's and that's modern. Right. That's the, a good thing for a modern person to say. That's true. Like, I didn't. Oh, they don't think. The guy came and saved me, type thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that as as in in quite that same context. But it's the same. Like Darcy offers Lizzie a job, and she turns him down, and she's gonna start her own. Which is a weird. Like, are they gonna be competing in the weird? But like they live in the same city. It's kind of an interesting like question mark for the future. But that's a good. That's a good observation. I didn't. I didn't really notice that. Um, I was scared for a minute that they were gonna end with them not to like either of those two couples together. Cause I like right. being, I really like being Lee and Jane, right? Who doesn't? I really like Darcy and, and Lizzie, of course. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ah, oh, they're going to make it so modern that they don't, they're going to do a twist and that they don't end up <laughs> together, which ruins the whole thing. But right. they, they didn't, they just spent, like I said, three to four minutes with a discussion, an adult discussion between all those parties involved and made, good, healthy choices for good, healthy relationships, which you want for these people instead of, sure. you know, because in the other thing, in the, and if you, we really look back at it, back at it and they talk about it in, in the 2005 version, or sorry, in the 95 version, the mom and several people say, oh, I'll learn to love this person, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, you, I think it's the two, the 95 version, they say when they're in the ballroom, something like, um, you know, if they have enough money, then you start on the right. You always starting on the right foot, uh, and you're going to look to adapt. You'll have a much better place to adapt that for. So all the women want is that that one thing, and then they will live with this person. And in the modern version, it's very much a we need to find out who we are and if we're compatible together and grow as individuals. And then they none of them talk about marriage at any point because that's right. not what you do. You're supposed to spend years developing relationships, good healthy relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that's a, I think that was a pretty big change between them. Is there any other ones that were huge? I didn't, I saw, I noted Fitz a lot more, which he's only barely in a couple scenes for a short time in the other ones. Right. He's a much yeah, more he, bombastic character here. He's, he serves the same purpose to the story. He pops up in, um, one of the spinoffs is, is Gigi Georgiana, mm-hmm. uh, Darcy's sister. Um, she's supposed to be making these product uh, uh, demo videos for Pemberley Digital, but it's this like interactive um, voice controlled calling and messaging system. But she's using it to call Fitz and Darcy and talk about what what Darcy's doing to try and help save that family. And we mm-hmm. know what's going on because it's happening parallel to the main the main web series um but it's a funny like somebody in the comments is like this is the most unprofessional product demo i've ever seen because <laughs> it's like her talking to her brother but she talks to fits a lot and then that's the that's the modern sort of way she gets um 
she gets Fitz to give her um, Wickham's number and promises not to call, but only text. And then when he doesn't answer her text, texts, she does call him. And then in the first video, she sets up that um, in order to do video calling, because this is all pre um, like FaceTime or anything, right? right. Um, in order to do video call, he has to um, Fitz has to accept the terms of service right of the app yeah and so when she calls when george calls her wickham um he's like what is this video call and he does and then she talks and the actress is just phenomenal you see her like just struggling with all the emotion of this guy who once tried to seduce her and is calling her peach and all of this stuff and you know teary-eyed and then after she hangs up on him, Darcy calls her back because him accepting the terms of service means he downloaded the app and they can track him down. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this connects the dots that you don't see. I mean, just like in the novel and in the other adaptations, you don't really see the details of how um, how Darcy dealt with Wickham right. because it's all told to Lizzie second or third hand. Which is something uh, and, this and story modern is, day series can do is like explore other behind the scenes type stuff, which we right. have those extra yeah. videos with Lydia yeah. and, and Gigi in them. Uh, yeah, so I we've kind of gone we're going really long on this, but um, I, I thought it was really fun and cute. Um, the cast is small; they're all very beautiful. All the male and females <laughs> are all very beautiful young people, um, yeah. and the, so 20s. it's easy to kind of watch it. Uh, but yeah. they are really great actresses, and they really, truly actresses and actors, or however, and they truly do capture the characters. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it, it's it really I don't know. It, I will, here's I'm gonna say something downside to it. At one point, it starts to be believable because they're characters who are young and having these little video blog and starting their little internet. Uh, stories up which is fun and, and cute and then you have the random people come in who are doing a bit right and it's clearly a bit and that's I, i'll say mr collins for sure is no one talks or acts or is like that um sure and and he is a caricature right and it just didn't fit next to somebody like jane who feels very real um and then yeah there are a couple of times where the, I think Darcy's the, that way as well for the first half. He he feels like he's doing a bit, and I don't quite understand I it. could see that. There are times when a lot of the writing is really good, but there are times when the writing is still a little too archaic. Yeah. Right? They try or, to put like, word by word with, with Collins. He's, yeah, he says so many lines exactly the same. And it's not. It's still, it's still changed a lot from the original, but it still sometimes came across a little stiff. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the, the, none of the females did. Like none of the, all, it was only the, like the the guest stars. I'd say, with the ex- exception of Fitz, who was great all the way through. But the probably, females were uh, were fantastic. Like proper cast, I would say. Yeah, um, and and the contrast to some of that some of that dialogue, like the format, made some parts of it difficult. Right, like you can't show them doing anything. It's all Lizzie telling the story, and then maybe. Charlotte or Jane or even Lydia coming in to correct her or to comment on like, you know, 
oh yeah, that guy was a jerk, or do you think you're being a little hard on him? And you get so much more of Jane's personality because yeah. she shows up and, and is always just kind of a uh, an insufferable ray of sunshine. Um, I but thought then she the... was a positive ray of sunshine. Yes, <laughs> positive ray. Of... Okay. And the contrast to that is that then sometimes you can, and I don't know, I have no idea what it would be like watching this if you're not familiar with the story already. Um, because especially at the time, like I see a lot of people comment, like I didn't read a lot of the comments, but the comments were just, you know, glowing praise for the difference or like the one where she turns down the job offer where people are like, yeah, that's, that's what this would have looked like to a Regency audience. Like how stupid is she to turn down this amazing offer? Um, I think but it would, they I can think it do... would have gone over well, except for the the character people. So I think that's why I said if I if I showed this to Sid, I think she'd be really interested in watching it <clears throat> and get everything. But then it would be thrown out by the Mister Collinses and the why why is Darcy clearly acting from a sheet of paper for most part? He he changes when he becomes a real person, like a real. Yeah, boy. I mean it's again that's the character, right? He starts out stiff and awkward, and then softens as he spends more time more time with her but yeah and like mr collins insisting on being called mr collins is kind of a funny but it's like they have to somehow still make that character insufferable enough to to justify lizzie turning him down and so he has to be kind of a pompous you know little guy without without the trappings of the regency era to you know to, to to lean on and the the I think something that the format could do to contrast the, like it not being able to show anything outside of these small rooms is having these real intimate moments between two characters um, where they're just purely acting, right? They're not, they're not talking. I mean, they are acting reading from scripts, but it doesn't look like that because like we're, we've seen them talking to the camera talk and they'll have conversations both sort of talking to the camera like they're doing a stage and then then they'll interact with each other especially lizzie and darcy toward the end or even bing and and jane um and the the emotion of that i think is so much more impactful because of the because of the format right like we're used to this certain thing and now it's like like we're sort of spying on them and they can do the stuff like oh the camera's still on you know cut the um there are a lot of clever things they could do with that that sort of balances out the limitations of it being a non-standard right and like that and this is the last thing i'll say because we're about 20 minutes over here but oh sure i i think uh that is actually a really big change um an adaptation that happened here that we didn't mention and i i can't believe i didn't it's that everyone involved knows everything Unlike all the other right. tellings of this, Lizzie's uh, blog is online, and is every character has access to it at all the times. Now, some of them do very natural things like most of us do. Those of us who are listening to this podcast right now probably not listen to all 313 episodes, but right. you'll listen to a couple here and there, so you miss things in the middle. Um, and that's kind of how a lot of people say. Uh, Bing says, oh, I watched some of them, but not all of them. There's a lot of them, Lizzie, right? And this was like a Because most of the story, like up until Bing reappears, right? Like after yeah. um, Darcy scares him off of being with Jane, like it's not until like well into the third act when, when Lizzie is working at Pemberley that Bing figures out that it's a that it's a web series and not just like 
sending sending video calls to, to Charlotte. Charlotte. Right, like, which like is he, a, he doesn't a, know for the yes. whole for most of the story. Which is an important yeah. like it's just a, a really really smart and genius way that they handled that. Um, this character can't know how Jane feels. Really, that's a port, very important part. Right. So they have to address that. That it's, it's on the internet here, and every other character can see. Also, things like Jane. Jane watches most of the episodes, so she knows how things happen. And Darcy, as soon as he finds out, very soon, right in the middle, after he proposes in the thing that he proposes to her, mm-hmm. um, after he confesses his love to her, he knows she's got a thing. And Gigi is watching it the whole time too. And people see it all. <laughs> like they, they know the things yeah. that are happening. Charlotte is every much aware when, uh, again, when they say the big scene of what, um, when Darcy confesses his love to her, there isn't a person in the cast that doesn't know that after that, except for right. Bingley who sees it later, but everyone knows. And from then on out, it's not a secret. It's not, it, it, right. you know, it's a thing that they deal with. Um, and then char- and then that changes the rest of the characters, too, because when they would sit down, uh, Lydia does this poignantly in several scenes late in the show, where they, it's an emotional time, and she the show has now taken a life of its own, and right. all of them have been active in this blog telling, active through 70-plus uh, episodes. Um, it's a part of their life, and when they come and sit down, they almost involve the viewers because they know that they're one of the viewers too, right? They sit and watch right. it and they're like, no, I want to kind of conf- talk about this. And they don't ever really mention too much about the comment sections, but it's like that. These, these ladies will come on screen and talk. Lydia does and says mm-hmm. things like, Oh, in the comments, they want to see me and they want to see the adorbs and they do all this kind of stuff. Right. right. Uh, that's just a huge change, I think. And really, really well done. And it does have a big effect on the characters, um, but they don't let it get out of hand. It doesn't change their decisions that you see right. in the book. Type stuff. Yeah, they they craft the story around that. It's like when the and you see the writing credits when you have uh, subtitles on, which I did. That you know they they included all of that into the script scripts, um, so that it is meta, but is also following the original story right it's it's so different knowing that jane and lydia know everything that either of them have said about each other or lydia especially there's a little bit there i gotta stop talking that there's a little (laughs) bit there's a little bit there where jane says have you watched her vlogs you know she does care for you and and then if you and lizzie uh um the the little sister just her name uh lydia does watch um, her Lizzie's vlog. She watches the right. show and talks about it. And because she does, <clears throat> you can tell how she reacts. And that's different than the other adapt- adaptations. It's just you have different perspectives now uh, because these are even bigger characters in the story. So anyway, thumbs up. It's pretty, you know, good. It's a good ad- adaptation. I would definitely show this to modern people even before like young, I'd say younger people. Um hmm. I would show it to people in their 20s and early 30s before any of the other versions that we've seen. And then they, I would say, go watch the original, and they would love those as well. Um, but this is very relatable and understandable, uh, especially for a younger crowd. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a break, like I said, for next week, uh, just for on the, on the, the um, 
Pride and Prejudice Pride stuff because we've got mm-hmm. one more to show. Um, so I figure we can watch something. I'm, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to, I was going to pick a man called Otto, which I, I, I've seen and like, and I want you to watch, but I'm going to pick something from your list instead, because I need a palate cleanser. We're going to watch from Dennis's list. We're going to watch battleship. Oh boy. Okay. Hey, you picked it. That's why I'm telling you it's from your list. <laughs> So past past Dennis put it on the list at some point. <laughs> but it that is like as far away from Pride and Prejudice as you can get, I think. So Yeah, pr- pretty pretty far. So that that'll be a good palate cleanser for us. How's that? Okay. Battleship. And we're talking which battleship we're we talking about? The one with uh There's only John one. Carter in it? Uh it's from 2012. I don't know if there's more than one, but Yeah, all right. It's not the board game. But it's kind of the board game, but really. No. With aliens, right? There's a, a 34 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> 34%. <laughs> I got to know what, what past Dennis was thinking one night. He was like, we got to watch yeah, this. I don't know. I'm sure I heard somebody mention it on another podcast. It was like, so it might be good conversation material. There we go. All right. Battleship next week. All right. Well, you've been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 313. Thanks always to our friends at LRM Online. You can go check them out for reviews on things. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us and I don't know, I don't have a funny quip for that. Our email address <laughs> is frontporchpod at gmail.com. If you go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, you'll find contact forms there to reach out. I will also try to put um, uh, Board Game Geek links to all of the board games we talked about in the first half of the show. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing on the podcast of your choice. And while you're there, if you'd leave us a review, we just appreciate that. It helps out a lot. As always, thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. With the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.